Welcome to Something Like It Pop, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist Edition. I am Matt Tamanini, and as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, week 159 of quarantine, still doing well out in sunny Southern California. Hey, I'm nowhere near Orange County, so I'm fine. No beach protests or anything uh, rumbling your way? Happy here in North Hollywood. How about you? You staying away from the beach? Yes, I... Yeah, I'm in the center of the state, so no morons on beaches around me, fortunately. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Oh, freaking idiots. But uh, all right, Jen. So we are here to talk about the final two episodes of the first and maybe only season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC. Um, of course, if you want to join our conversation, you can follow Jen on Twitter at Eponine Q. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Matt. And of course, you can follow us both or follow all of us at Broadway Radio at Broadway Radio. We, of course, are coming to you from the Broadway Radio Patreon feed. But since this is the end of the season, maybe we'll throw this in uh, at some point later this week in the main feed. Uh, but Jen, in our last recap episode, looking at episodes uh, 9 and 10, which were Zoe's Extraordinary Silence and then Zoe's Extraordinary Outburst, we had some, like, the biggest, some of the biggest disagreements we've had in years um, about those episodes. Do you want to remind us where we were heading into episode 11, Zoe's Extraordinary Mother? Yes. When we last left Zoe, um, Max had moved up to the sixth floor to work for Joan's rival Ava, Broadway's star and Tony winner Renee Elise Goldberry. And basically, the fourth floor and the sixth floor were pitted against each other to try and get this chirp project out in the world. Leaf, being scorned by Joan, decided to join Max. So there's a little competition going on there. Um, in Zoe's life, Simon and Jessica broke up, which kind of opened the door for her, but also um, kind of spurned Max in a tantrum-esque kind of way up to the sixth floor. So there was a lot of turmoil going on with that. Um, in her home life, her uh, dad's caregiver, Howie, we got a little glimpse into his life learning his daughter was deaf, and we got the most extraordinary performance almost to date. Uh, from his daughter and with help of the Deaf West Theater Group, which was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And then in Zoe's Extraordinary Outburst, we realized that she is having a lot of trouble with all of this, and she was starting to let her feelings known. And at the end of this episode, uh, Matt threw a tantrum, too, about his reaction whoa, 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 to the episode. Whoa, whoa. And she officially burned almost every bridge that she had going. And so that's where we are. Where we are when we begin with Zoe's extraordinary mother. Yes, this is uh, these two episodes certainly go together. As we talked about in the last episode, they are Zoe's extraordinary mother and then Zoe's extraordinary dad. I did think it was interesting, Jen, that it wasn't Zoe's extraordinary father to go along with mother. I, I don't know that I have a reason for that, but I think it's uh, it was an interesting choice. But you're right; I did not enjoy episode ten. It was one of your favorites. I just feel like they kept painting. Zoe into really bad corners and making her make the worst decisions possible. Um, however, I will say, Jen, that I thoroughly enjoyed both of these episodes, not without their faults. I mean, that's what, like you said before, I'm a, a critic by nature. Um, so there are, you know, little things I'll pick apart throughout. But overall, I wish that the entire season was made up of the building blocks from these two episodes. I, I thought that they ended the season on a very high note. So I'm excited to get into this. But before we do, Jen, 
I wanted to mention something, and I don't think I've ever shared this with you. When you and I started doing Some Like It Pop, I mean, literally now, it's almost five years ago, because we started doing it in the fall of 2015. Um, when I came into that, my perspective was very much as a critic. I also, at that point, I'd been working at Broadway World for about a year and a half at that point. But before that, I had been a coach and a teacher and an instructor and, and all those things. And, and in doing those jobs, I kind of made a persona for myself of being a little bit uh, hard and, um, you know, sarcastic and, and all of those things. Um, that's not really what I, uh, think of myself as being in real life, but that's a persona that I had. And it was really working with you and doing the original version of some like it pop that kind of got me out of that being my default persona. And even though there are obviously times when you and I disagree and you think I'm resorting to that normally, I really, I, I've never really said this to you, but like having your perspective on just enjoying things, especially your perspective on comedy. And you said something very early on in our recording about letting other people just like whatever they like. Um, and that kind of became the mantra of something like a pop. Like if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And I really thought about that after listening back to our last recap episode where I was letting everything going on in the world. And then what I wanted Zoe, the show, not necessarily the character, but the character too, to be influenced my enjoyment of it and, and why it bothered me so much. And it, and it really kind of took me back to our early days of podcasting to remind me that, you know, not everything's for everybody, and that's okay. And really looking for the joy in things is a much better life than looking at the negative side of things. So I want to thank you for, first off, bringing that back to the forefront of my mind five years ago and then doing it uh, very well in our last episode. It is much appreciated, especially during these times. But in, in all times, it's really made a big difference in my life. And uh, so I just want to thank you for that. Okay, so here's a heads up. These two episodes are like super emotional yes so starting off with something like that is not cool <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry oh there's there's a lot of things that i'm going to talk about being not cool in a very very similar yeah. vein uh because they they take us through the ringer uh on these two episodes jen so let's go ahead and uh, let's dispense with our own interpersonal sentimentality and let's get into these two episodes the very first one opens with zoe david and maggie in the car prepping Maggie to be a stern, stonewalled person as they go in for some kind of sales pitch. Apparently, Maggie is a terrible negotiator, uh, and the family kind of runs through some of her past failures in negotiatings from cars to a bunch of other stuff. And Jen, I was prepping myself for, you know, this, oh, this is going to be a fun scene with Maggie haggling with a car salesman or maybe a medical supply salesman or something fun like that. And then the first... I don't know, manipulative trick of the two episodes. The camera pulls out and shows the car outside of a funeral home. And uh, that was completely unfair, in my opinion. I was not ready for that one. Oh, no, they they jumped right in. And I, too, thought they were buying a car. And as soon as I saw where they were, it was like, of course, they're not buying a car right now. Like, of, like that's exactly. just your own personal, like, here's hoping there'll be one last little escapade before everything gets real dark but man they just drop kicked us right into it yeah they certainly did we go inside and uh the three of them uh david zoe and maggie uh, are in the office of the funeral director who is played you know who that the, who played dale the funeral director right jen i sure do that's uh director paul feig 
Correct. He's actually the executive producer of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, did movies like Bridesmaids, the the all-female uh, Ghostbusters, uh, very funny, funny dude, and he plays Dale, the funeral director, throughout this episode, and he's running through all the different packages in his sales pitch, um, really confusing and overwhelming Maggie, and then they take them into the casket showroom, which was very awkward uh, in its own right. But then Zoe starts hearing Maggie sing, We Gotta Get Out of This Place by the Animals. In this dirty old part of the city Where the sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Then we see David start dancing with her and then everyone else in the showroom, other families, a couple nuns and a couple priests, they start singing their own little verses. And I got to tell you, Jen, this number was one of the most macabre, unsettling things I've seen on TV in a long time. And I don't know why the I mean, that's that's exactly what they're going for. So this is not a critique on them. But the, the combination of the song and kind of the arrangement and then the setting, it made me very very uncomfortable again acknowledging that is exactly what they were going for i think so and they showed everyone from all walks of life from Mm -hmm. them to a a father and his daughter to priests and nuns and everybody internally is screaming so i I think they achieved the correct reaction from you and i don't you know i don't know a lot about your personal life and i don't know if you've been through this process but Having been through it within the last two years, it is a delicate balance between these people trying to provide comfort to you, and but also being like car salesmen. So mm-hmm. I thought they captured that really well because you're in this gothic, beautiful palace that all of this money has come from profiting off of people's death, but also they're the only ones that know how to do this. And you kind, it's like the DMV. You like gotta go through them. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's um, they set that whole stage very well, and this was a really cool way. And I, I don't, I feel bad for enjoying it. I think I wrote in my notes like, "Is it bad that I'm really enjoying this number?" Um, <laughs> but it it certainly set the tone for the next forty five minutes. Yeah, one of the things throughout the season that I've had problems with is the the dichotomy between the song that was being sung and the scene it was being sung in. This one was one of the the ones where the dichotomy actually worked perfectly and uh, it really set the stage for this episode but after the song is over Zoe immediately knows that she has to get Maggie to use the name of the song out of that place and as they are leaving she tells her mom that she can feel free to swear if she wants to which Maggie takes her up on and that's where the title card comes in to censor her after the uh, that initial break Zoe, per the use, is just happens to be walking into the elevator at Spark Point, and Max and Leaf walk in right behind her. She senses that Max does not want to talk about her day, so she says that Leaf can catch her up to speed on the progress of the uh, the chirp bake off once they get off on the fourth floor. But when Zoe steps out of the elevator on the fourth floor, as Jen you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Leaf does not join her. And Zoe's very confused, and that's when Max tells her that Leaf defected to the to the sixth floor. And Zoe takes that very personally and immediately runs into Joan's office. And after Joan says that with everything going on between her and Leaf, she couldn't really keep him someplace that he didn't want to be. Um, and, you know, what was not said underneath that, Jen, at least in my mind, was if I tell him he can't transfer, he can go to HR. Now, that was not said, and that was not even really... 
uh, hinted at, but I think it was at least implied, or at least it was for me. It was, and I think he's going to have that in his back pocket for a long time. Again, we're seeing Leaf in very different lights, uh, because I don't... Yeah, either way, we'll get to more of Leaf later. Uh, but Zoe then apologizes that she has not been able to be on her A-game because of everything that's going on with her dad. And to a bit of her surprise, Joan tells her not to worry about it and to take all of the time she needs. In fact, Joan says, Hey, don't worry about it. We'll figure out the sixth floor. Take all the time you need. Really? Zoe, you've been there for me. I'm going to be there for you. Then as Zoe was kind of getting all mushy about it, she tells her, Don't smile at me. I don't want to look at your sad, appreciative eyes. Get out of here. But it was really sweet and funny, Jen. And if we get a second season of this show, I want more of this type of stuff from this mentor-mentee relationship moving forward. Because what we saw, especially in this episode, but some in, in the next episode, that's the kind of stuff I want to see from them. Yeah, I agree. It's it's you know, and as you said, as we'll see in this episode, it, it's nice to see the women coming together instead of trying to tear each other down. And um, we'll learn later why Joan is so supportive. That we will. Next, we are finding ourselves at Mitch and Maggie's house. Maggie is going through some of the samples from the funeral homes for caskets, headstones, fonts for the headstones, etc. And she's still very overwhelmed. She said that Mitch is the one who would make all of these decisions normally. And when Zoe asks if Maggie wants to involve him in the process, they look over to Mitch, who's sitting in the living room besides dozens of different bottles of his medication. And he's asleep in his chair. Maggie says that he's getting worse. And Zoe asks why they didn't do this type of planning before. And Maggie says, Well, if you mean when we were younger... Probably because we thought we had all the time in the world. And I never could have imagined that it would happen this fast. No one did. Jen, I think that kind of goes to some of the stuff that you were talking about, that this is hard on everybody, but it is something where you really do need the help of somebody to guide you through it. Um, whether that's a funeral home or someone else, as we're going to find out. Um, this is a tough time to do on your own, especially if you have no experience with it. Yeah. And just having that person there who has been through it and he can tell you the logistics, you know, like he, he can't help you with the emotions and he can't help you with the decisions, but he can at least say, here's what's going to happen no matter what you do. And that's more comforting than you would think. Yeah. From there, um, we see Zoe chugging wine on Moe's couch. And they have the first really funny exchange of the episode. Would you like a straw? Would that help you drink my wine even faster? I know you're joking, but that would be great. When was the last time you went funeral shopping? Paper, plastic, or metal. You know what? I'll get all three. But then Mo says that this is why he's already planned his funeral in detail. And Jen, I'm not going to lie. I am pretty anti having a funeral. I don't really feel the need to have a funeral. If people want to have something afterwards, that's fine. But I don't really care. But Moe's plan does sound kind of great. There's a dress code, nothing teal, cerulean, or anything with a high neckline. There's going to be a sit-down dinner where dessert's going to be served first. And I have pre-recorded five songs that I want played because who else is going to sing it better than me? Nobody! It does, and I wish Alex Newell a long and healthy life, but I would like to go. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. I, I love that. Um, but as they are beginning uh, to talk about Zoe's issues with Max... Eddie, who Mo has given a key to his apartment, comes in. Eddie explains that he's apparently gotten a callback to be a cruise ship performer for eight months on the open seas. 
and Mo is immediately not excited about the potential for his new boyfriend to be gone for that long. Now, Jen, obviously the idea of going on a cruise ship right now in the middle of a global pandemic, especially one that hit cruise ships especially hard, isn't at the top of most people's lists. But I have always thought that if I had been a performer, short of booking a Broadway show right out of school, like I think I really would have wanted to work on a cruise ship out of college. Like I've had friends who've done it, and they've talked about what a cool experience it is, the chance to travel the world, to making some pretty good money, uh, to do what you love. And then there's this camaraderie among the cast on the ship. Like It's kind of like a professional theater camp situation. And I've always kind of wished that I had done that life thing if I'd gone a different direction in terms of my career. I mean, I've heard good stories and I've heard really bad stories. I've only been on one cruise my entire life, and we made really good friends with uh, one of the workers. I say friends, but, you know, we were tipping him. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, romantically, it sounds really fun. I don't know if logistically living like that for eight months is great. But, yeah. you know, I'm close to 50 now, so it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm close to 40. It's not going to happen to me either. But uh, anyway, we next cut to the sixth floor at the Sparkpoint office. And Max is giving a celebratory pep talk to his team after they hit some sort of benchmark in the Chirp Bake Off. And Jen, Max really seems to be killing it in his new role as the team manager. He's got like complete celebratory handshakes with team members. And he's really seemed to transform into this new position really, really well, and which was really nice to see. I would like to say that I'm surprised we hit the next benchmark, but honestly, I've come to expect this level of excellence. It's actually kind of boring now. Get on over here, Janine. Janine, ready? And milk it, drink it, toss it, floss it. Sorry, my bad. Carry and moss it. <laughs> and if my opinion of this doesn't confirm that, Leaf tells him the exact same thing, and Thanks to a really detailed doodle, Max realizes that Leaf transferred up to the sixth floor because he and Joan broke up, and he asks him very surprisingly to everybody if he wants to uh, to go out and have a beer with him after work, which sets up a really cool scene. But I I liked seeing Max in this, you know, part of his work life. But I also kind of like to see the the burgeoning friendship between these two people that otherwise generally don't like each other. Yeah, I think it's a testament to working with someone too, because um, y you can have a rivalry, and but now the dynamic has changed. You know, Max is above him, so I think both of them are trying to kind of reach out and try and form a better partnership so that they can work better together. And in doing so, they realize how the other one can make each other better. If that makes any sense? Yeah, and not just like like in a quid pro quo kind of you know, relationship where you help me, I help you, but just in a, like, we can be supportive of each other uh, kind of thing, which was, was really nice. We then go back to the funeral home where Zoe, David, and Emily this time are back, and Paul Feig, or slash Dale, is doing his sales pitch again, but this time to try to get them to buy a family plot, which leads Emily to tell David that she is not interested in being put in the ground because she's claustrophobic, uh, which starts a little bit of a funny argument. Nothing major, but it was kind of fun. But as they go off to see the grounds, Zoe hears a new heart song coming from outside, and it's a woman laying a flower at a grave. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. A, the song is feeling good. Jen, 
That's a musical theater song. Do you know what show that that song is originally from before it became a standard? I don't. I know it from Michael Bublé. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those songs that like every jazz artist has covered for the past 50 years. Uh, but it's from uh, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, written by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley, who, of course, uh, collaborated on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But also uh, Santino Fontana, a few years ago, like in 2016, I don't know what's happened since then, uh, was actually adapting the book for a production. He did it at the Vassar Powerhouse season. Um, I haven't heard anything since then, but uh, that'd be really cool to see that. But then, B, back to the song, the woman singing this this Broadway show tune turned an American standard was the one and only Bernadette Peters. Sea, you know how I feel Red lines run and free You know how I feel and I didn't know what to make of this number at the time, Jen, because the lyrics, you know, I'm feeling good, it's happy, you know, all those things that, you know, are, things are going well. But from my limited musical knowledge, not just this version, like every version, this song is written in a minor key. So it has like this dark, foreboding feeling to me, um, which left me a little bit unsure as to what we were supposed to take away from this number. It made more sense later in the episode when um, Bernie kind of explained her character's thought process, but it, I wasn't exactly sure where to take what to take from the performance, especially complete with a soft shoe number in the rain after the number. Although Bernadette Peters singing anything is always wonderful. Well, one, I had no idea she was on, so I did squeal. And two, like you, I didn't know what it was about, but it, I, I feel like they explained it. And in hindsight, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, it really does kind of fit the song lyrically and musically with the character as we learn out more as we learn more about her um but i but it was a weird choice at the time but from there we go back to mitch and maggie's house and zoe's explaining to her mom that they actually did put down a deposit on a family plot but as zoe's kind of showing maggie um where the placement is she does not like it because it's near a quote hideous fountain so Zoe says that there's another option over here, and Maggie quickly dismisses it because it's too close to the road and Mitch hates traffic. Um, and Zoe realizes that, try as they might, this is about more than just burial plots, and it might actually be something that's beyond what she is even capable of helping with. And she asks Maggie if she knows anybody who's been through this before, again, looking for that person to kind of provide some personal insight. And, and Maggie says that, Unfortunately, or maybe even fortunately, no, none of their friends have gone through this yet. She's the first. Um, and that really sets up what we're going to see in the second half of this episode. But then we're back on the Spark Point fourth floor and Zoe's back at work for the second or third time this episode coming in late. But again, Joan is OK with that. But as she comes in, Tobin says not to worry because he completed all of the AI interface something or other uh, for the Chirp Project. And Zoe's impressed. Then she sees this new person working on a laptop at, Max, at Max's old desk. She doesn't know who it is, 
but it turns out that it's Joan wearing a very expensive black hoodie, and she came back where it all began uh, to give the team a hand when they were a little short-handed. And then Joan asks Zoe if she can sneak away from her family for an hour that night uh, to relax, and Zoe says that, yeah, she can probably make that happen. We cut then immediately to a karaoke bar because it's a musical TV show, so of course. Um, and as they're sitting down, Zoe tells Joan that she knows she wants to talk to her because they're falling behind and they really have no chance to win the bake-off. But Joan tell her, tells her she's wrong. That's really not why she wants to talk to her. Instead, she wants to tell Zoe about her mom. My mom looked like Audrey Hepburn, but talked like a college football coach. She was very... Very tough um, stay-at-home mom, but um, I think had it been a different time and not Bismarck, North Dakota, she could have ruled the world. And when she got sick, I was working my way up through the ranks at Google, trying as hard as I could to get to the next level. And on the night she died, um, I was preparing my presentation for the Google Smart Pencil. Do you remember that? Uh, barely. Exactly. <sighs> Work may seem like it's the most important thing, but you will never get this time back. So please stop apologizing. And Jen, this had me in tears, uh, of course. And not to belabor the point, this is much more of what I want this show to be because they do this kind of stuff so, so well. And this was the first of many, many tissue-reaching moments for me in these two episodes. Oh, yeah, that that really got me. Um, and I think it was an important point because so many people are like, oh, I've got to work. i got to stay distracted. i got to keep busy. And here's Joan, the champion of that mentality, saying, no, you have to go experience this because you're not going to get it back and you're going to think about it the rest of your life. And sometimes people need to hear that because it's very, very important. Yeah, because even if it is difficult, it's something that if you choose to miss it, you are clearly going to regret it like Joan does. Um, but before we can kind of wallow in that too much, Zoe kind of uh, starts to get worried because Max and Leaf come in to have their beer. And despite Leaf not wanting to be anywhere around them, wanting to leave, Max tells him that you have to project confidence. And they walk over to uh, their semi-significant other exes, whatever, uh, and say hi. Leaf then tells Max that everybody knows that he's in love with Zoe and asks how he got over it so that he can handle things like this so well. And Max says that he doesn't really think that he has gotten over it, but it's about trying not to wallow in it. Then Leaf, who Wait, is... can I just jump in for a sec? What you're about to describe, I, on a scale of 1 to 10, could you rate Matt's cringing? Like watching it happen? Yeah. Or like if it had happened in real life? Leaf's next move. How much were you cringing? I was not, actually. I mean, Should it was we? so... It was so obvious when they went into a karaoke bar that one of someone was going to sing. And when the fact that it was Leaf, like I was like, OK, whatever. But the reason I don't think I was cringing so much is because this scene I thought was done very, very well. So I almost didn't have enough time to feel that uncomfortable. Well, I loved hearing Michael Thomas Grant sing Air Supply. Yeah. So what happens? Leaf is very drunk uh, at this point, and he gets called as the next person to go up and sing. And his song is All Out of Love by Air Supply. 
Max knows what's coming, and he just goes, Oh, no. Thinking of you till it hurts. I know you are too. Nothing worse than a human being seeing directly into another human being's eyes, I think. It's like I can see into his soul, make it stop. So Zoe looks over at Max to help and like gives him like the motion, like cut this off. But as soon as she does that, Max kind of like whatever blows her off, and then immediately it goes straight in to bye bye bye. I'm doing this tonight. You're probably gonna start a fight. I know this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. I love you in this sleep when you were in there for me. So now it's time to leave and make it alone. And then they cut back and forth between the two songs. But as these two songs show us, while Leaf is clearly not over Joan, Zoe now knows that Max is at least projecting, or at least in his heart, thinks that he is over her. Jen, both Leaf and Max sounded great, but I really loved the options up that Skylar was throwing in uh, on Bye Bye Bye. Oh, yeah. I, I did make a note about his um, rendition of that song. It, just, it It made it better. And it was an interesting dichotomy of a scene because they're both singing from their heart. But one is wearing his heart on his sleeve and one is doing his best to push it down, which Mm -hmm. if you asked me a few weeks ago, I would have thought it would have been the other way around. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, but I I think that these were very interesting character arc points for both of them. Uh, But like I said, we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay, so in the next scene, we Mo informs Zoe that he preemptively broke up with Eddie because he doesn't want to do a long distance relationship. We'll get back to that. But next, we see Zoe going to try to get her deposit back from Paul Feig, and he does. He understands he's not a complete monster. He gives her the deposit back, but then tries to give her a little, hey, we still have time to work a deal if you want. But Zoe sees Bernadette Peters again, this time talking to a big group of mourners, explaining that there's no right way to grieve. uh, But her story was very funny uh, in a very Bernadette kind of way. And Zoe walks over to her and introduces herself, and we learn that Bernadette's character's name is Deb. Um, And she explains that this place, this funeral home cemetery, took really good care of her when her husband, Arthur, died. And because of that, she recommended it to all of her friends, which means that she unfortunately is there all the time. So Zoe kind of just awkwardly and out of nowhere asks Deb if she wants to hang out. And Deb is like, eh, why not? You only live once. Um, So we see I knew exactly where that was going very quickly, Jen. Well, I also thought that that was an important moment in Zoe's arc is that she knew when she couldn't handle something, she knew to ask someone else for help. And um, I I wrote in my notes, if only we all had Bernadette Peters as our spiritual guide. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, the world would be such a better place. But. Yeah, but we are back at the SparkPoint offices, and Tobin is again celebrating some file or another that he just completed, um, and he says he's going to go take a victory lap, which Joan completely busts him on because everybody knows Tobin's bathroom schedule, and he's probably going to take a poop. But anyway, um, after he leaves, Joan needs that file and goes to get it off of his computer, and just as we kind of thought might be the case in our last episode, Jen... 
turns out that Leaf is actually a double agent sending code to Tobin, and that's why he's knocking out all of these projects. So Joan, pretending to be Tobin, meets Leaf on the fifth floor, uh, where he tells her that he doesn't really care about the sixth floor winning the bake-off. He doesn't really care about it at all. He wants her to win the bake-off, and he says that he's not giving up on them as a couple, and he wanted to show her that in some big, grand gesture. Joan tells him that it's a terrible idea and convinces Leaf to cut out the corporate espionage. From there, we now go to a place that I want to live in called Pie World, uh, and Maggie is there thinking that she's on a mother-daughter date with Zoe, but Deb is there, and Maggie immediately figures out that something is up, and uh, Zoe arranged the whole thing, so she lets them talk, and she goes back to work. Maggie says that after 40 years of being together, she doesn't know how she can possibly do something this big without Mitch, and Deb says that she was with her husband for 38 years, she understands and Maggie admits that every single one of these decisions just feels like it's moving me a little closer to uh, to him being gone and to it all being real. And Deb tells her, well, it is. It's very real, babe. And and no one can take that burden from you. It's just something you got to wear like a. A giant cinder block sweater. This is real. And sadly, there's nothing that you can do to stop it. It is a train coming. And while Deb has been on the train for a long time, if Maggie wants, she's welcome to sit next to her on the train. And it was very sweet. And as they're talking, Zoe texts and asks Maggie how she's doing. And she replies, of course, feeling good with a little emoticon, not even an emoji heart, an emoticon heart with like the less than sign and then three, which makes Zoe look longingly over at Max's desk and remember everything that they'd had before. Did you say that you want to live in Pie World? I mean, I could think of worse places to live. Okay, because in my notes I wrote, I want to live in Pie World with Bernadette Peters. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would certainly live there with Mary Steenburgen as well, but either Absolutely. one in Pie World is great for me. But also the things that she said were very, very important. And again, I think that was a testament to Zoe knowing that that's something that she couldn't handle. She needed to get someone who's been there and to say the hard things. It's real. It's happening. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And I know you don't want it to be over, but there's a point when it's going to be over. So it seems very simple. But just hearing those things is also, I think, very vital for Maggie at this point. Yeah, it's part of that process. And I have not obviously gone through it with the loss of a spouse. Um, but I imagine that it is something that you kind of need to be shaken into, um, especially in something like this, where you know that it's coming for a long time. But we are now next back on the fourth floor at the Spark Point offices in Joan and Ava are meeting there. And Jen, um, when Joan met with Leaf, she said that this is a place that you could murder somebody. And Ava says the exact same thing about it being a great place to kill somebody. Um, and, you know, the only thing that I thought of, Jen, is that I now want some sort of Killing Eve style show with Lauren Graham and Renee Elise Goldsberry. I mean, why would I ever disagree with you about that? 
I mean, I don't think that you possibly could. So we'll just put that in the back of our mind. So if this doesn't get picked up, we're going to start pitching that around. Um, but anyway, Joan tells Ava that Leaf is leaking information to the fourth floor. But rather than firing him, she has a different idea. And this is kind of what you alluded to earlier. She suggests that as the two highest ranking women in the company, that they need to show everybody that there's a different way to get things done and work together. That'll come back here in a few minutes. We next go to what I guess is like a casting office rehearsal space. And Zoe and Mo are going to drop off Eddie's dance bag at the place where he's got a callback for the cruise ship, apparently, because Mo changed the locks before Eddie was able to get all of his stuff out. They walk into the rehearsal room and the cruise ship choreographer who is running the audition was the was Zoe's extraordinary playlist choreographer and producer Mandy Moore. So she got a little acting cred in there, just like Paul Feig did. And as Mo starts walking across the rehearsal room in between the dancers doing their callback to give Eddie his bag back, Zoe hears Mo's heart song to a song called Issues by Julia Michaels. I'm jealous. I'm overzealous. When I'm down, I get real down. When I'm high, I don't come down. I get angry. Baby, believe me. I could love you just like that. And I could leave you just as fast. But you don't judge me. Cause if you did, baby, I would judge you too. No, you don't judge me. Cause if you Not did, a song I was familiar with. Jen, were you familiar with it? Nope, never heard it before. Okay, um, but after the first verse, Mandy Moore stops the number because not just in a heart song way is Mo watch, walking across the audition, but he's literally doing it for real, walking between the dancers. But that was really fun. Then Mo goes back to the heart song. And despite the fact that the song, you know, basically admits that he needs Eddie, he tells Eddie to lose his number, drops his bag and storms off. As they're in the hallway walking out, Zoe tells Mo that she heard him sing and that she thinks that Mo and Eddie should work together and to get through their issues to which Mo replies like you did with Max. And that was, I mean, it's not a low blow, but it certainly took Zoe off guard. So you combine that with the feeling good thing where she looked over at Max's desk earlier and you knew that something was coming between these two former friends. Still, I mean, I'm a big fan of Mo, but that was, that was pretty low. Not the comment, but the Eddie thing. Mm. The in in what way that the, he just in the middle com- of an audition just to come oh, in yeah. and be like, yeah, bye. Like that's not cool. And and he knows you're in your headspace during an audition, and just to come in and blow it up like that. Oh, that was pretty cheap. Not only that, but can you imagine you're a director? I, I'm a director. If somebody's ex walks into an audition and interrupts it like that, I'm probably immediately crossing that person off my list because they probably have drama surrounding them. I don't want the drama. You're like you're done. Yeah. Fortunately, we don't see any drama from that. Uh, Mandy Moore is a much more forgiving person than you or I are. Uh, but we are then back after a commercial at the spark point offices and the sixth floor team is coming down to the fourth floor and Ava and Joan tell everyone that they aren't going to be competing anymore and that they're going to, you know, work on this chirp project all together. Then they start singing get together by the young bloods and it's a big old hippie hug fest. Jen. Love is but a song we sing. Fears the way we Just cool. 
I was not really feeling this song. Um, I felt like there had to be a better song out there uh, than this one. I lo- love the song, but it just felt weird to me. Well, it, it, it's been a strong episode of Numbers, so yes. in comparison, this was pretty weak. But I have two questions. One, did it really happen? Because you, normally at the end of a heart song, everyone goes back to their place and everything is back to normal. And at the end of this, everyone was still hugging and it was really bizarre. Like it had really happened. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there was not an actual like big group sing along. <laughs> but it, it was just it was weird. weird that they were all still like hugging their strangers from the sixth floor. Um, the other thing is, is, is not a fan of that song, but it's also very like when you see documentaries or um, depictions of San Francisco in the sixties, you hear that song. So I kind of, I felt like it was like kind of an ode to that a little bit. And maybe they were making fun of themselves almost because, and granted we're in a special times right now that we're a little sick of the world and this together message. Um, There's no way they could know that, but it, it, it does rub you a little bit the wrong way right now. I wonder if they just couldn't get the rights to come together. <laughs> and so they're like, what's another 60s song that yeah, has fair. together in it? But um, after that, we have a short scene with Maggie explaining that she has finalized her plans for Mitch's burial to Zoe, David and Emily. Um, and from there, though, Zoe heads back to Spark Point to talk to Max. He's a little standoffish at first, but Zoe says that if Joan and Ava can make up, Shouldn't they? And then she tells him that. I have spent the last several days at a cemetery. And it's made me acutely aware of time. And if I had to die tomorrow, I couldn't stomach being this far apart from you. To which Max tells her that. You know, I think I'm getting pretty good at finding my strength lately, but it's very hard to hold my ground when you play both the Joan and Ava and the cemetery cards. Hey, moments like these, sometimes you have to haul out the big guns. And they both agree that they, you know, they want to try to be friends again, and they don't expect to go immediately back to where they were before, but maybe over time that they can get there. And Jen, we all knew this was coming. To be honest with you, though, I think thought it would have happened an episode or two ago. Like I expected this to be like a one episode fight. You know, a lot of times we see that and we've talked about this before, like, you know, people have a fight and then they make up at the end of an episode. Like I was, I I don't know that I liked it or disliked it more than it took two or three episodes, but um, it definitely subverted my expectations of how they were going to handle this BFFs, maybe more relationship. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they did it before the end of the season in case we don't get a second season. But I, um, I knew with her father's condition that it would drive them together at some point. But I'm glad that they made up independent of that. Totally. But despite this being towards the end of the episode, this was not, in fact, the end of the episode. And I did not see this coming. Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, Max is still in the office. And then Ava calls him into her little office area, and that's when Zoe heads out. And Ava tells him that because Max let Leaf onto their team, despite knowing that he has a history of insubordination, that she is firing him. Not just from the team, not just from the sixth floor, but from Spark Point in general. Max is stunned, and now, Jen, I am very unhappy with Renee Elise Goldsberry. Well, I'm very unhappy with Ava. (laughs) 
Yeah, of course. I <laughs> Renelia Goldsberry is a Renelia goddess. Goldsberry yeah. can do no wrong. But yeah, that was a that was a really strange move. That was just really petty. Just to say, like, you can't come to the sixth floor anymore. Like, okay, fine, I get it. But he's a good manager, so it just seemed really petty. Yeah, and again, this is probably a one of those plot pointy type things where they needed to do this for the plot. But especially, I, I did think like, okay, it kind of fits with the character that we've seen from Ava. She's really cold and bottom line, but she's also made a point about being really good at like nurturing talent and like finding talent. Like I, I genuinely think that this probably would have been something where she would have found a teaching moment in this and probably laid down a pretty good, don't ever let this happen again. But it did seem excessively over the line, even in a show where we have to suspend our disbelief a bit. Okay, Jen. So that's the end of episode 11, Zoe's Extraordinary Mother. Did you have a favorite line or a favorite song that you wanted to shout out in this episode? Uh, Well, the line was the one you mentioned with Lauren Graham. Um, Don't smile at me. I don't want to look at your sad, appreciative (laughs) eyes. Love that. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite number, like I said, I think it was we got to get out of this place because of the tone of it. And um, I feel really weird for saying that, but it was a weird it was a weird number, but it it weirdly worked. Yeah, I really liked the the, the karaoke bar mashup. Like I thought they handled that really well. Um, so that was probably my favorite. But I none of them were at the level I don't think of some of the stuff we saw in Zoe's Extraordinary Silence, which had the Sound of Silence fight song and Happier. Um, none of them rose to that level, but. Let's wait for episode 12, because there's a lot of songs to talk about in and that buckle one. buckle up. My Holy God. Crap. Yeah. Um, do you want to just dive in? Are we just going to go straight in here, Jen? One thing I want to mention is, have you noticed that Zoe wears red all the time? Um, Like, I could picture her in, like, purple, but I think there's always, like, a red accent or something. There's always a red tune. Yeah. Now, at the very beginning of this episode episode 12 she's wearing a blue sweater and it's the first time that i've noticed that she hasn't been wearing uh wearing red and hmm. when she starts singing what you're about to describe it was like something bad's gonna happen because she's not wearing her color and she's she just knows something's wrong well yeah that is the really the whole point of at least half of this episode because it opens up in zoe's apartment with a kind of unusual heart song <laughs> Zoe is in the bathroom and she's singing Bad Moon Rising" by Creedence Clearwater Revival. And Jen, I love that song. At one point in my life, it was probably in like my top five favorite songs. But as soon as she starts singing this, I am already not ready for the vibe that this is bringing to the season finale. And uh, does it feel like the first five minutes um, she's in Final Destination? That's a very interesting thing because she goes through this number and it kind of starts and stops because Zoe is not actually singing the song. The person who is singing this song is her reflection in mirrors and in stainless steel appliances. That's a very good point. I had not put the Final Destination uh, thing on there, um, but I'm a, a big Allie Larder fan, so I'm all here for any uh, Final Destination references. 
it just got me worried that they were going to pull a bait and switch, like something was going to happen with another character. But Ugh. that's just what scared me because I was like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Yeah. But, you know, I was just really uh, anxious. Yeah. And it's another thing where like Bad Moon Rising is, yes, it's a song about, you know, something bad potentially happening, but like it's a, it's an upbeat, da, da, a bad, you know, it's like a head boppy kind of song kind of working like with, we got to get out of this place where it gave you an eerie feeling, even though like the song itself wasn't necessarily all there. It was very weird. And Zoe knows it's weird. So she rushes over to Mo's apartment for help. And Mo kind of like listens to her, but then's like, I'm in the middle of a problem on my own. I have no creative energy left. Um, something's happened, but he refuses to admit that it could be related to him breaking up with Eddie, which we will of course get back to because of this, Zoe decides she has to go check on her family. So she runs over to her parents' house and Howie is there trying to get Mitch to drink a shake of some sort. And um, it's not going super well, which we will get back to. Um, but Howie says, no, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. Um, and Mitch is actually more alert than he has been recently. So he's able to interact with Zoe a little bit. He uses the buzzer a little bit. Um, and then we hear Maggie get upset in the kitchen. And Zoe rushes in. Apparently, she dropped her wedding ring down the drain and she can't see it to grab it out. But she's going to go turn on the light switch to be able to see it. And then there's this foreboding music as it's you know starting to play, Jen. And then Zoe's freaked out, presumably because she thought her mom was going to accidentally hit the garbage disposal with her hand in there. And this is the vibe that I was not prepared for in this episode, Jen. I really didn't like it. I knew, of course... Maggie wasn't going to garbage disposal her hand, but I was like, please don't. I like, I don't, there's so many red herrings to get us emotionally unstable before they deliver the ultimate gut, gut punch, which we all know was coming. And like I say, Jen, this is, this, uh, this vibe was already coming for me and I was not, not down with it. No. And it was like the anxiety um, promoter for the next five minutes. <laughs> issues because the second, and I think this is with everything, but the second someone's like, actually, everything's going okay. Like, everybody's feeling all right. Do, do, Things do. are okay. You're like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. And, and they, again, this is not me, like, actually, like, thinking they're doing something wrong. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to in an episode like this, that everyone knows what's coming. Um, they're subverting expectations and trying to play with what people think. And they actually do it later in the episode where they really something happened or the thing happens a lot earlier than I anticipated happening, which um, again, kind of messed with me a bit, but we will get to that. Zoe is back at the spark point offices. She's walking in being very cautious to avoid an area of the floor. That's wet where a janitor is mopping it. Um, she comes in and sees that leaf is back at home on the fourth floor. And Tobin is not only excited to have his BFF back, but he's also very excited to have an omelet bar. Zoe, I've had three omelets today. Egg whites only. Got to keep those triglycerides low when your cholesterol's sky high, son. Are you bragging about having high cholesterol? Top 2% for my age. You know it. Purely genetic. Now on all the statins. I am worried. This is how I compensate. Jen, uh, I have been you know, pretty vocal about how much I did not like some of the character arcs um, for a lot of this season. But I got to say, you know, what we've seen from Max, but especially that we've seen from Tobin and Leaf. Like, I think they've gone through a really good, believable, progressive character arc to where 
I actually like them. I enjoy them. I think they're funny. And I think they add some different elements to the ensemble that I did not expect to uh, enjoy from the beginning of the season. Yeah, Tobin has been surprising me for weeks now, ever since um, his bromance with Leaf was going south. And then now he's just kind of endearing. I don't think he's completely reformed from the programmer that he was, but no, no, they no. certainly come a long way. And he started to see Zoe as more of an ally instead of an enemy, which is a very important step in forming a relationship with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, though, Leaf is the one that kind of unexpectedly has to break it to Zoe that Ava fired Max the night before. So Zoe runs into Joan's office, but instead uh, of talking about that, uh, Joan is worried because she got a voicemail. She says, yes, a voicemail from SparkPoint CEO Danny Michael Davis. And Joan's afraid that that means that if she calls him back, he's going to fire her. To which Zoe, because of the whole bad moon rising potential thing in the air, Zoe convinces Joan not to call him back right away. She said he's so busy, he'll probably forget and, you know, not remember for another six months. Um, but they move on from that. And then the very next scene, we are back at Cheesequake again. Jen, that's a real place, right? Uh, according to my research, a.k.a. Google, it is. Okay. Cheesequake is the place that uh, Simon took Zoe early in the season that kind of started their bonding after she heard him sing uh, Mad World the first time. But she is now, now there with Max. And he's in the dumps because he doesn't know what's going on with his life now after he's been fired from SparkPoint. He'd been there for five years. Trust me. I know about changing jobs after more than five years. Mine was more voluntary than Max's was, but I understand how that can be really daunting. And Zoe is telling him that she's had a feeling all day that something bad was going to happen. And clearly this is it, which I'm thinking, Zoe, no, that happened yesterday. This is not your bad moon rising thing. But as soon as she says that, cue Simon, who walks in, he's back from his mother's wedding in Vegas, and he apparently picked up some cheesequakes for him and Zoe all kinds of super awkward, Jen. And uh, I got to tell you, like, I like Simon. I don't think Simon is a bad guy. I think the actor is fine. But I did not miss this awkward triangle thing in the last episode. I, I enjoyed the episode being about the business stuff and the family stuff. I didn't miss the romantic triangle. Not only that, and I agree with you, I like him and I like the actor. I This was the first moment I realized he wasn't in the last episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was not in the last episode at all. So I guess that's not a good thing for him, but whatever. We're going to deal with more of the triangle stuff later, unfortunately. But uh, Simon leaves, uh, you know, to kind of leaves them alone to get in line to get their cheese quakes. And as Max is telling Zoe about what happened with Ava, Zoe starts to hear a heart song from Simon as he sings Jealous by Nick Jonas. around and it's a little awkward or whatever but 
after the song, Zoe tries to convince Max that she was paying attention and she heard every word. Yeah, every single word you said. I am shocked that Ava would be so... Oh my God. And then all of a sudden, crash, a light falls from the ceiling onto the table next to them, which leads to the final title card censorship of the entire season. Uh, Jen, did you jump on that one at all? I absolutely did, because we're still in Final Destination mode. <laughs> That's a really good analogy that I'm sorry I didn't think of, because I, I really enjoy the first two Final Destination movies. But um, yeah, it was a very, very uh, jump scare kind of thing and leads straight in to the break. Afterwards, we are back at the office and Zoe goes over to Simon and asks how his Vegas trip was. Um, and he said that it went really well. He actually enjoyed seeing his mother, likes her new husband. And he said that for the, for the first time in a long time, it feels like the black cloud that has been hanging over him ever since his dad committed suicide is finally lifting. And Zoe tells Simon that he doesn't need to be jealous of her and Max. And Jen, this is literally the only time in this episode or in these two episodes that I'm going to have uh, anything of issue to say with Zoe. We know she still has mixed feelings because we're going to see the rest of this episode. Like, you don't need to say that. Like, you can address it without telling him, like, don't be jealous. And then later in the episode, you know, so I just like you don't need to say that thing and to him if it's not true. And it just felt like a little unnecessary. They could have done without that. And it would have been a really a perfect episode for me in terms of how they handled her. But also, to be fair, he thanks her for calling it out and he wanted to change and be more honest with his yes. feelings. So I understand your critique, but also it, he wasn't mad about it. No, 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 not at all. And and my issue was not about with her talking about the jealousy. I would have been fine because, like you said, he said that with him and Jessica, there was so much left unsaid between them that he was going to try not to make that mistake again, which I think is something that needs to be said. They need to be talking about their feelings. What I have a problem with is that we know that Zoe still has feelings for Max, and that's fine. I have look, date whoever you want to date, date however many people you want to date if you're not in a committed relationship. So I, that my only issue was like, don't tell him that, like, don't be jealous, because basically what that means is like, you're the only guy for me. You're the only one I want when we know that that's not true. That's my only. You can talk about him being jealous. I just didn't like that setup because I think it was unfair to him and it wasn't true. But either way, that's really not the point of this episode at all. And like I said, that's my only critique of her for the whole episode. And and I'm very happy about that because I didn't want to get in that argument again. Um, but as Zoe is walking out of Simon's office, um, <laughs> looking very intently at a knockoff Medieval Times t-shirt that he gave her from Vegas, Mo comes in. You're not fooling anyone. I know exactly what you did, Simply Red. What are you talking about? And why are you in my office? Don't do this. I know that you sent Eddie and I a fake email saying that Gucci was having a one morning only 90% off sale. So what did I do? I put on this ponytail, ran all the way down to Gucci, and what did I find? Eddie with his face pressed against the glass and no sale in sight. Um, which she did um, just because she wanted to try to get them back together so Mo could get his creative swag back. But Mo says that he doesn't want to be with Eddie at all. Um, he doesn't want he doesn't want to continue the relationship. He wants to be done with him, but then immediately jumps into I will follow him not by Dolores Van Cartier, but by Peggy March. I love him. I will follow him, follow him wherever he may go. Um, and after the song, Zoe tells Mo that he is clearly not listening to his heart 
and that that is very un-Mo of him. And I, I thought, you know, Mo is not ever going to be at the center of necessarily the main stories on this show, Jen. But I thought that that was a really astute observation from Zoe that Mo has all, all, always been about following your heart, following the emotions. Um, and she called him out on the fact that he was the one avoiding things in not the exact same way that he did early in the season when he was dealing with the whole thing with his church. But um, I thought that was a really good observation, not only from the story point of view, but it was important for Zoe to be the one to recognize it as well. Yeah. And well, first of all, I want to correct you in Las Vegas, it's Excalibur, not medieval times. Um, (laughs) But I think it's an important distinction from earlier in the season because where Zoe called Mo out on not coming out, that was something that he was aware of and he had made the choice not to do. But with this Eddie thing, it's something that he's not aware of. And Zoe is actually trying to help and not sticking her nose in where it doesn't belong. I think that shows a little bit of growth on her part. You don't think that Mo knows that he actually wants to be with Eddie? Like, I, I was under the assumption that Mo completely knows and he's just lying because it's easy. I think he's easier. in denial. Yeah. I think- I think he is. And I think with everything in these last two episodes, everybody is in denial. And there's always that person that comes along and says, here's what's really happening. And it's just that little nudge that everybody needs. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, either way, I did think it was a good thing for her. But as Mo is leaving the SparkPoint offices, Zoe gets a text from her brother David that his wife Emily is in labor. And then there's like four dozen exclamation points, of course, because of the whole Bad Moon Rising thing. Zoe is worried and she races to the hospital only to learn that Emily is in fact not in labor, but just had very normal Braxton Hicks contractions. Jen, real quick story. One of my parents' best friends, family-like couples um, when I was growing up, the uh, the wife, Dory, was in OBGYN and their dog's name was Braxton. That is how I learned what Braxton Hicks contractions were. And that's it. That's the story. I got nothing else. But um, I, I learned it from friends when uh, Rachel almost went into labor and it was Braxton Hicks. And I had to Google what that was. There you go. Le- you learn things from all very different kind of ways. But um, <laughs> before we get to a re- the really interesting thing that I want to talk about at the hospital in a much more entertaining thing, Emily gets another great line as she's being wheeled out. David, did you know there's something called a nipple shield? Could be a game changer for my nipples. Mm-hmm. Jen, I really want them to do a spinoff sitcom of all of like the secondary characters just trading great line after great line. I don't even need plot. Just give me the great one-liners that Emily and Tobin and Leaf and even Mo get to have because they're really, really funny and the writing team is very good at that. I agree because my favorite line is coming up from uh, Danny Michael David. And I would have to submit that for my favorite line of the episode. Yeah, there's I'm not I won't mention any of those, but there are some very good ones. I might play some of them, but I won't mention them then. Um, But uh, before David leaves with Emily, he tells his sister that he's a little sad that she didn't actually go into labor today because Mitch is still there. And he wanted Mitch to be able to meet his grandson uh, before he dies. And if, you know, if he waits, uh, you know, if the baby doesn't come for a couple days, that might not happen. Um, and yeah, listen, I know we're, I know we're going to get into this at the end of the episode, but, um, just a shout out to Andrew Leeds. Is that his name? It is. Because he is one of many extraordinary performances in this episode. No pun intended. No pun intended. He (laughs) is extraordinary. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, but after David leaves, Zoe walks up 
to like apparently just in the waiting room you can see into an MRI machine room and then the technician who actually gave her the MRI that started this whole thing is right there and he looks at her and very kind of knowingly says it looks scarier than it is but it is extraordinary how many people it's helped and then he walks away singing I got the music in me I got the music in me which is something that not it wasn't a heart song but zoe dreamed that she sang i think i think that was the opening yeah the opening to episode two um and jen this nothing comes of this we don't see more of this guy in this episode we don't know if he was just a it was just coincidence but this is the type of mythology and world building that i have wanted from this show all season and i don't actually expect but when i talk about like my theory that Mitch had this power or that I want a bad guy a la true calling like this is the type of stuff that I want. And even though that's this isn't really what that is, I appreciated it and enjoyed it nonetheless. Or is it a um, building block for things to come if they do could get be. picked up? It very well could be. But as of now, it's nothing. But I was like, oh, I love that. Like that was the little like nerd comic book, you know, origin story mythos kind of you know, thing that I loved. But anyway, we go from there back to the Spark Point offices and Danny Michael Davis comes into the fourth floor offices, literally yelling for Joan, like not like angry yelling, but just like Joan, Joan. And Zoe runs over to him and tells him that she's in a meeting in the conference room. Um, I don't know if this is I don't think this is your favorite line, uh, but I'm going to say it. So I'm going to say it. Um, he says, oh, I try not to look to the north. Oh, there she is. That was very funny. Um, and Zoe introduces uh, herself to him, to which he replies, Yet You also sang pressure to me in a room full of people. I find you charming and disturbing, like a Pomeranian wearing a tutu. But then before Danny Michael Davis goes over to talk to Joan, Zoe mentions that she called him and he uh, she asks for permission to rehire Max. You believe in him? Yes. He loves his mother? Yes. Rocks a mean upright bass? Yes. Then let's bring him home. Jen, did you get the feeling that Danny Michael Davis knows who Max is or just Zoe was like, yeah, OK, whatever, because he was like, plays a mean upright bass and something else like and Zoe was like, yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's him. Like, did you did that or was it just like he's saying weird things like he normally does? And Zoe was just agreeing with him so that he, that she could rehire him. I took it as the latter that he was just has these weird qualifications of good people in his head and she's like um yeah that yeah that's him yeah and he was just like yeah whatever like that's not the reason he was there he doesn't really care about it um what we find out he really doesn't matter anyway so um <laughs> i took it as it yeah. was just random questions that he's like part of his quirk personality would ask yeah I, I i can go with that i was i wasn't sure i think it's funny either way or it's interesting either way but it, it's probably funnier that way but it turns out that Danny Michael Davis is not, in fact, there to fire Joan, but rather to ask her to take over SparkPoint for the next six to 18 months, depending on if the FEC, SEC, and CIA finds the hard drive in his sister's basement or not, um, which was very funny. And after kind of playing coy for like half a second, Joan, of course, agrees, and they're going to fly to Singapore on Friday for board approval. That board meeting if it happens, we'll be in season two, uh, because that's the kind of the last we hear of that. But I did like that building block setting up something very interesting for season two, Jen. 
Yeah, and I wonder what that's going to do to Ava. Is that going to make her more competitive or more backstabby? Or um, I hope I just really want everybody to come back if they do a season two. Yeah, and we're going to get into th- that those kind of things uh, later on in our list of Palooza. But before we do, we next see Mo going over to Eddie's apartment and he opens up and he's very honest about why he broke up with him in a really vulnerable way, talking about he has always tried to be um, the one to distance himself from everybody else before he can get hurt. And in a move that <laughs> Jenny, you probably understand this. And, and I knew immediately when this happened that we would not hear Eddie speak for the entire episode because he was clearly on a contract that allowed him uh, to be in the episode without speaking to get paid less because he's in multiple other scenes moving forward, but does not talk uh, because Eddie immediately just responds to Mo by kissing him and pulls him into the apartment. And we do not hear Eddie speak for the entire episode. But from there, we are now over at Zoe's apartment and Zoe and Max are back to having their regular movie nights. And as they are, Picking what to watch, Zoe tells Max that she got his original job back on the fourth floor. And Max tells her that he appreciates that. He really does. But he really liked being a manager on the on the sixth floor. He liked how it felt. He liked what it did to him. And he did a good job at it. So he doesn't want to go backwards. He realized that because of this, he was really excited about the potential and opportunities of his future. And he says, like, is that bad? Like, are you mad at me for not wanting the job back? And she says, like, no, I really like that you want, you know, you have this ambition. And then Zoe kisses him. And again, this is where I was like, yeah, that, 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 this is kind of why it bothered me that she told Simon not to be jealous because she is the one, clearly the one who initiates this. And Max asks her, like, why she, why did you do that? And she said, because I felt like it. And Jen, if it had just been that, I would have took, like, be positive in whatever you want to do, Zoe. Kiss whoever and how many people you want to. And and I'm very happy for you to do that. But then they proceed to start making out, and it's getting a little heavier. And then Zoe hears music start playing, and Max is singing All of Me by EGOT winner and Ohio State Buckeye superfan John Legend. Is that just because he's an Ohio State fan, or do you not like John Legend in general? Love John Legend. Do you know why I ugh'd? Yeah, because he's an Ohio State fan. Um, although, you know where he went to college, don't you? No. He went to Penn. So he is a, uh, a, a University of Pennsylvania. Traitor. Why is he a traitor? He roots for Ohio State. Well, no, he didn't go to Penn State. He went to Penn, like the Ivy League I get school. It. Yeah, he's from Spring uh, Springfield, Ohio, which is just outside Dayton. So anyway, he's amazing. He's an EGOT winner. Him and his wife are certainly couple goals because Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are literally the best. Uh, but anyway. I'm out of my mind. Cause all of me. During the song, Zoe keeps trying to progressively get more physical with Max, but as the song dictates, he keeps turning away or pulling away or turning his head. And she finally gets frustrated and just puts her hand over his mouth and tells him, I know you don't know this, so I'm not mad, but you're singing a love song to me. And he's like, Oh, that's embarrassing. And so they decide that he should think about something sexier and dirtier instead. And then he busts into, I know you want me by Pitbull, apparently. One, two, three, four, uno, do, three. I know you want me. You know, I want you. I know you want me, you know I want ya. I know you want me, you know I want ya. I know you 
complete with booty shaking, which I assume, Jen, you thoroughly enjoyed. I did thoroughly enjoy that moment. Um, it, it is a, a filthy, dirty song, which I appreciated your description of that. But this was the last hearty laugh of this episode. So yeah. I overly appreciated it. Yeah, it was a super awkward situation. And uh, the whole thing is certainly not how you want like a first kiss with somebody from Max's perspective that you've been in love with for a long time to happen. Um, but it was played very, very well by both of them and the construction of the scene. But unfortunately, Zoe did not like that either. And um, she stops him. And as the song stops, they're like, OK, maybe you should just try to keep your mind blank. And he picks her up and pins her to the wall, which is like one of those, I think, like super sexy things that, you know, really plays well in scenes as they're about to start, you know, bouncing a while while getting things on. But Zoe's phone rings and Max says, oh, don't answer it. But she, you know, of course she has to. Her dad's sick or whatever. And so she answers it and it's Howie. And as Zoe, you know, looks at Max and he asks what's wrong, she just looks like she's about to break down. And she tells Max that the bad moon rose. And I don't love the fact that she had to use the song lyrics in there, but we all know what that means. And damn it, Jen, they almost had me completely forgetting about all of that stuff because of the... You know, the Mo and Eddie stuff and the Spark Point stuff and the Danny Michael Davis going to jail stuff. Like, I had literally almost completely forgotten about this. And then they just completely successfully bait and switched me. Same. It was, um, you kind of get caught up in all of the minutiae of all of the other plot lines. And then out of nowhere, there it is. Yeah. And the weird thing is, after the commercial, we don't go to the hospital like I had prematurely written in my notes, but instead, and it makes sense logically, but I was just assuming something had happened, they're going to go to the hospital. But instead, they're at Mitch and Maggie's house, and Mitch is just sitting there on the couch when Zoe walks in. Maggie says, come into the kitchen, we're all in here. And um, David and Emily are there as well. And Howie is there and explains to the family that Mitch has decreased his food and fluid intake over the last day or so. And has lost the ability to swallow. And that means that in a matter of hours, his organs will begin to shut down. And shit, Jen, I knew we were going somewhere like this. Obviously, we talked about on the last episode, everybody who's watching the show knew that this was going to happen. But that didn't make it any easier. It didn't. And again, I'd like to appreciate Howie and people like him who have to literally sit there and basically give you a blueprint for how this is going to go. And um, that was really really hard to watch it was and i gotta tell you like the character of howie i have no idea how much we're gonna see of him if there is a second season but what a like a a grounding joy he has been in this season like he's funny but it's more it's more his warmth than anything else jen like i think he's been a really solid addition to the second half of this season and again i don't know if we'll see him in the second season much at all um but he that actor has been wonderful in however many episodes he's been in I did have that in my notes that he's a great character and I hope they find a way to utilize him in season two. Yeah, absolutely. As the family is dealing with the news, Max actually calls Simon and tells him that Zoe's dad isn't doing well and that he thinks that she would want him to know that. And again, Jen, sentimental crier here. I was not ready for the levels of emotions in this episode because this got me crying too, because it's a moment where obviously there's some uncomfortableness between those two, but they obviously respect each other enough and they're human beings and uh, that that got me crying even more than the whole thing with how he did yeah it was a really classy move it was a grown-up move because he knows that 
even though he loves Zoe, he knows that she has a bond with Simon over his problems. Right. And she would want him to know, but there's no way she has the capacity to tell him right now. And maybe this, this, you're not going to believe me because you know how much I love soap operas. But one of the issues I think that I've haven't been able to articulate about the show that I've had is that I like shows where people behave like adults. Um, and even if that means they screw up, they screw up like adults. And I think there's been times in this season where people have acted like children unnecessarily so and kind of against character. But I really appreciated this because, like you said, this is an adult move. Um, and I really appreciated it. But from there, Zoe goes to talk to her brother, David, who is not doing great. And she convinces him to go talk to their dad. David is in tears and he doesn't want his dad to see him like this. But Zoe says, look, dad never held back his emotions. So you shouldn't feel the need to either. You should be with him and let him know what you're thinking. And later, we see some time elapse. I mean, it's the next scene. But later in the evening, Maggie is talking to Max as he is leaving. And as they hug, Max whispers into her ear. And, uh... I let him know exactly how I feel about his daughter. I'm pretty sure he already knows. He made sure that he told Mitch what he, you know, how he feels about Zoe. And Maggie says, oh, I think he already knows. And Jen, I'm talking about it. And the waterworks are going again, just like they did. I just, I just, I mean, like, I think I've got a few tissues left, but holy crap. Yeah, I don't have a lot of notes. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> like after I just wrote Howie is a great character, and then I just wrote silence, and I have nothing after okay. that. Okay, so good. So we'll we'll I'm gonna kind of rely on you for this. But I did note this the song, and it just said, "Oh, oh are they physically trying to kill me?" <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that here in just a minute. But when this happened, Jen, I looked down at the little timer on the episode, and there's still 20 minutes left in this episode, and I'm like. what are you doing? Like, how am I going to make it through this episode? And then I realized like 15 seconds later, Oh, I'm not like, that's how, uh, because as he walks out, Zoe hears Mitch singing lullaby. Good night. My angel by Billy Joel to David. Good night. My angel time to close your eyes and save these questions for another day. I think I know what you've been asking me. I think you know what I've been trying to say. Jesus Christ, Jen. I just keep the, the tears are just flowing. It's not turning off. I thought I had them kind of like after the song started, I thought I had them under control. But then David joins in and I'm just like, just stop. Just you fucked me up already. Like, it's just over. Yeah, it was unrelenting from that point forward when when david started singing oh my god and zoe witnessing it too like this is probably the worst and the best moment to have that power good night my angel now it's time to sleep and still so many things i want to say remember all the songs you sang for me when we went sailing on in Emerald Bay. What I thought was really interesting, Jen, um, in the second verse of this song, this is a, a, a real song, a Billy Joel song. David sings, 
Remember all the songs you sang for me when we went sailing on an emerald bay and like a boat out on the ocean, I'm rocking you to sleep. The water's dark and deep inside this ancient heart. You'll always be a part of me. And then I'm saying like to myself, did these writers know that they were setting this line up from the very first episode? And like they did the whole thing about him sailing and then they went out on the boat in the pilot episode because if they are, we're going to have a fight. I like I'm going to fight the writers because that shit is just not fair. And then the last verse is about being a part of a child that might come someday in the future. And I'm just like, like this whole season was perfectly encapsulated in this song. And it really, really bothered me how perfectly it wrapped up. I don't know if that was just serendipitous or if that was the plan from the beginning to use this song and rip out people's hearts, but it sure, sure did. Yeah. And when he put his hands on uh, Emily's Ugh. Emily's stomach. Yeah. 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 Jesus. Just, just, just stab me in the face. Yeah, absolutely. But it does not get any better after a commercial. Zoe is saying goodbye to Max on the street. He's driving away. And Simon pulls up. Um, he was going to just leave the lasagna for Zoe's family uh, because that's what everybody gave him and his family when um, his dad died. Uh, he didn't actually expect to see her, but he tells her that, look, you helped me get through my stuff and I'm going to be here for you however you need, including getting you a grief basket like like she had done for him. It was a nice little moment. Um, they go back uh, into the house. Uh, Zoe takes in. Uh, the the lasagna Simon doesn't come in but she gives the lasagna to David who needs to eat something Mitch is now in his hospital bed in the study and you can hear him kind of struggling to breathe Jen and that really like took me a minute too I was like whoa like he was like you I don't know the right way to describe it but it just like you could hear, hear him straining to breathe and that really bugged me and Maggie is now singing a slowed down version of Dream a Little Dream of Me by Doris Day. And again, um, it's interesting because we do have the Nick Jonas song earlier and we've got the little pit bull part and the John Legend stuff. But like so many of these songs in this episode are what you could, can, you know, either standards or classic rock songs. But this one really worked super well um, because it was just like this slowed down version of a song like that was otherwise optimistic, um, you know, and like kind of flirty. And it took on such a different connotation when Maggie is singing to her husband of 40 years who was about to die. And I was just like, my God, you know, like they, they, they are hitting on, no pun intended, every right note uh, in this episode when, when it comes to the songs. I do think that it was originally an Ozzy Nelson song. Oh, was it? Uh, okay, good. But it's been covered by a hundred different people. Yeah. And uh, the version that makes me cry the hardest is the one that Mary Steenburgen sings. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, uh, like you said, you know, I, I, when you start to get uncomfortable, you start, like, clicking on the remote, like, how much time is left? How much time is left? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. oh, good, there's still 18 minutes? <laughs> Great. Yeah. But here's the thing. I thought we had, like, 18 minutes, so we were going to have to deal with what was eventually coming. Oh, but oh, no. They mess us up much sooner than that. Uh, but afterwards, Zoe is eating ice cream with Howie, who, of course, gives her some great advice and insight on how to deal with death. Then Zoe goes in to talk to her dad, and she tells him about what's been going on with Simon and Max, and then says that the musical numbers are actually giving you know her some help right now, and they've been helping her. And as she's kind of getting into it, Mitch starts making a pre another pretty scary noise, and Howie rushes in to give him some more morphine. And as David and Maggie are telling Mitch how much they love him and holding his hand. Zoe's kind of standing back a little bit, and I've got goosebumps now that I'm talking about it. From the other room, 
we hear Mitch go like, psst, over here. And he's in the other room, in their living room, with all of the furniture gone, in a black suit and tie. He calls Zoe over because he wants to talk to her. Now, this is the first time in this other world power thing in which we've heard anybody speak. This is not a song. They have a bit of a conversation. And they talk, and as Zoe is actually walking into the living room, she changes from the clothes that she's wearing into this very beautiful floor-length red dress. You mentioned the red color. Red, yep. And Mitch takes her by the arm uh, as they come in, and they start to dance. And they're having this conversation while they're dancing, kind of a nice little father-daughter slow dance. And as they talk, Zoe says, like, she's not ready to... You know, if, if this powers are great, but when you leave, I'm not gonna be able to hear you. And Mitch guarantees her that she will be able to hear him, like whether it's, you know, literally hear him or not. It doesn't matter. She'll be able to hear him. And they start dancing a little bit more in a choreographed way. And of course, the music that comes in underneath is an orchestral version of True Colors, which they danced to at the very beginning of the season. And Mitch kind of spins her and she's like twirling back towards the study. And then all of a sudden, we see back into the study where the rest of her family is. And Maggie looks over at Zoe. And she doesn't shake her head or anything. But, like, you know that's confirming that Mitch has just died. And she looks. Zoe looks back into the study. And the study is back to how it was before with all the furniture. And then it cuts to black and goes to a commercial. So, Jen, at this point, we've got about, I don't know, eight eight or so minutes left in this episode. Where were you on the emotional level here before we get into the last act of this season? How were you doing? What did you expect to happen from here? Um, well, I thought it was really interesting that he said um, their heart songs, which is why she couldn't hear him sing anymore because his heart was stopping. Oh, I did not put that together because he actually yeah. asks. He's like, yeah. what did you what do you call those heart or those songs that you hear? She says heart songs. I was, you know, personally, selfishly, I was waiting for him to say, oh, yeah, when I had this power, I called him something different. He didn't say that. Just it's fine. Still, still hoping I'm for hoping. your theory to I'm the bitter hoping. end. still hoping. Yeah. Uh, very bitter. Um, but but I mean, honestly, that still could happen. That still could come out. I, mean, I, would, I would love it if it did. Um, I'm not holding my breath, especially because we don't even know if there's a second season. I can't hold my breath that long. But like you said, I wasn't I was kind of once I realized that that he was going to die. I kind of figured it was going to end like that, like with him fading away or his heartbeat stopping and that would be the end or whatever. So I assumed we were going to go to a funeral. This is worse. But this is way worse. It's way, way worse. It's way worse. It's like they took out our hearts and stomped on them and then uh, threw them in a broiler and served it to us for dinner. (laughs) Very Hannibal-esque. I mean, I love this Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what happens is we are back in a car with Zoe, Maggie, David, and Emily. And as we come to learn, it is following the funeral. And they are getting ready to go back into their house where all of their friends and family have gathered. I guess that's – is that – I know people call it different things. Awake? Is that – they're having a wake, Jen? Yeah, it is. And um, I, I liked that scene in the car because it is – their emotions were like, I want to see everybody and I want everybody to go away. But I know when everybody goes away, it's going to be horrible. Yeah, they do eventually start to get out of the car. And as they're walking out, it's raining. They're putting these black umbrellas up to walk to the house. Maggie starts singing the absolute last song that I expected to 
come at this point in the episode or in the season, probably if you'd have asked me, I would have been like, what the hell are you talking about? Why in the world are they singing American Pie by Don McLean? Long, long time ago, I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. But then, Jen, I, I, this worked on so many different levels that I was astounded. And I mean, it was literally the execution over this next scene is one of the most beautiful things that I've not seen on just on this show this season, but probably on TV this whole year. I mean, it was it was beautiful. Um, and we can get into that. So let me just explain what happens. Maggie's singing as she's walking up. Then David joins in, singing his own little sections and lines. And then Emily, as she's walking to the house, she's singing a little bit as well. As they walk into the house, Simon starts singing, including the verse, Well, I know that you're in love with him because I saw you dancing in the gym, just as Zoe and Max are together, which was, again, I mean, it was super on the nose, but it was like subtle and perfectly played. Then we get Mo taking over the song as he's pouring a drink, talking to Maggie and Eddie. And Jen, while you might think that, like I said, I, this was not something that I was on board with because it was so on the nose, but it, it was this perfect mix of melancholy and like, but having Mitch's love for life. And obviously the whole idea of the music dying plays in well with the show. Um, and it just really super worked. And as Zoe is walking through the house, checking in with everybody that we know, I couldn't help but being checked, uh, you know, choked up again and starting to cry. Then we get a verse from Joan. Then it pans to Howie, who has his bag, and he's like heading out with all of the other, you know, extended friends and family. And then we go back in, and Zoe is sitting on the stairs with Max, and he starts to sing. He sings the verse about I met a girl who sang the blues. I was just like, my God, just weeping again. The rest of the party starts filing out, and we're left with just the the family, the four family members. And they head into the living room and sit on the couch, and Zoe sings the refrain of the song, a cappella. And I think it was still a heart song, um, because nobody else seems to acknowledge that she's singing. And they were singing, bye, me bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye. The day the music died. There was no music. It was very raw. It was not polished. I wouldn't be surprised if they recorded it live. She sits in the middle of the, the couch. Maggie's on her right. And on her left is Mitch's spot. And it's just empty. Um, and that is how the episode ends. And holy hell, like it was nearly, I mean, obviously everyone knows American Pie is the super long song. But the scene and the song was nearly seven minutes long. Um, and every single like new verse and new person that sang packed a whole other punch. And I, again, super emotional, don't love that, but I so appreciated what care and what, 
beauty and empathy that they closed this season out with. Yeah, I even when the song started, I, I thought of you and I was thinking, I wonder if he's going to have a problem with this because it is the song's very sad and it's about a very sad thing, but it is kind of an upbeat, jovial tune, you know, and I didn't know how you would feel about that. But they did interweave it with perfect moments from the characters. And I thought of it as kind of like a curtain call because you saw yeah. characters that we've met throughout the season, like the doctor and their best friend and mm-hmm. all these people showed up again. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was almost one shot the whole time. Uh, if it wasn't, it, it looked like it was. I mean, it was one of those things where like they, they bird manned it. If it wasn't one shot, it was made to look like it was. Which I felt, was very effect like effective as totally. someone going through awake because it feels like a whirlwind. It feels like you never sit down. It feels like one person blends into the next and it's just nonstop. And it, it both feels like it's a hundred hours and 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden everybody's gone. So I thought that was very effective and phew, I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck, just heaving sobs. It was so wonderfully done and wonderfully wrapped up. And like all the critiques and the highs and the lows and the peaks and the valleys we've had through this whole season, I just felt like they stuck the landing so hard that you can't help but root for them. Yeah, they nailed the ending of this season. And um, what's interesting, you're talking about how they filmed it. At times, um, Mandy Moore has posted some behind the scenes videos. So I She's done them from like spark point where she can have like a vantage point looking down because it's such a big room. So I don't know if we'll get any of that, but I hope they do, because if this was one shot, it could not have been more perfectly executed. So the only other thing I wanted to bring up is that the choice, um, obviously it's called American Pie, but a lot of people refer to it as the day the music died. Do you think there's a chance if they were to come back for season two that this snuffed out that power? Um, not permanently, because I don't think the show, they're not going to get rid of the whole central conceit of the show, but I would not be surprised if they do come back for a second season that she doesn't have access to it for the first episode or two. Like, I totally could see that happening. Well, I just, I think being in a state of grief and, and, you know, the first few weeks, months, you're kind of numb. So I wonder, you know, one of the stipulations of this power is that her heart has to be open. And I don't think it is right now. That's a, no, I think that would be a really great thing. Um, I would wonder what an episode of Zoe's looks like without any music, but I'm sure they could come up with a way or maybe, you know, they figure that out somehow. But I think that would be a really interesting conceit for the beginning of a season two, uh, because we don't I would imagine there'll probably be some sort of time jump. But because of the whole Joan taking over Spark Point for six to 18 months. Maybe it's not going to be that big of a time jump. I don't know. Um, but I, I, yeah, we'll get to that. Let's just jump in. Jen, I think, are you on board for a second season? I am. Um, I wavered a couple times, not as hard as you did, but um, I think that they, they really upped their game in these two episodes. It, it finally kind of found their footing and maybe, the other episodes, you know, it, it required all of that table setting for such a great payoff. Um, so even if it's purely out of curiosity, I would definitely be in for a season two. Um, I, I think one of the most intriguing things is because we're theater people, sometimes we look at things through theatrical eyes, sometimes, all the time. We look at things uh-huh. from a theater perspective and 
the one thing I really liked is that all of this was really inconvenient and um, like the whole series. And she knew this day was going to come and work didn't slow down and her love life didn't slow down. And it feels like in the theater, you always get like that 10 minutes till places, but you don't get that with stuff like this. It's just like, Hey, this is happening now and everyone has to accommodate it no matter what. So, um, I don't know. I, I I feel good about a season two. I I feel like everyone's going to be starved for content next year. Hmm. And, um, I don't know. They have my vote. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am on board for a season two. I, I hope that they've learned some lessons from season one. I mean, that always happens. Um, and I think that we talked about this before because they filmed all of season one, I think more or less before the season started airing. I think that didn't give them necessarily an opportunity to course correct. Um, like you normally would when a show is being aired while you're still filming. So I hope that they've learned some lessons from this season. And there are so many things that they do well that I hope they focus on and realize that some of the other stuff, while you always have to have in a show like this, you've got to have some romance. Like I, I, that to me doesn't need to be an a plot ever in this show. Um, I think that that can be a, a nice solid B plot, uh, but I don't need the, the love triangle. I know they set up, in this episode, they didn't really give us any conclusion. And there was things where she had moments with both Simon and Max. So I, I know that that will obviously have to be resolved at some point, but I hope that it's resolved fairly quickly and you can have romance and difficulties in relationships, but I don't need th- that type of drama uh, in this show. But it's interesting, Jen, you and I are both on board for a second season. That leads perfectly into our list of Palooza, because what we did was we came up with a list of five people each that we want to see as guest stars or perhaps recurring stars for a potential season two of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. We kind of figured out how we wanted them in the, the show. I even picked out some a song or two that I want them to sing. Um, so we're going to dive into that as our list of Palooza. But before we get that, Jen, was there anything on this episode, these two episodes, this season that you wanted to say before we moved on? The only other thing I wanted to say was at the very, very end of the episode, it is dedicated to the creator's father. Mm -hmm. And I did read an article today saying that this actually happened, not the music in his head, (laughs) but this was the story of his father's death. And he is more of the David role in the situation because he was about to have his first child when his father was dying. So I that put it in a new perspective and a way of someone dealing with the death of a parent to find like comfort in musicals and, and music and put it on in a way to show, Hey, this was my journey. I hope it helps with yours. Yeah. And he, they actually finish with another card after that, where they say, if you want to learn more about uh, progressive supernuclear palsy, which is, um, the disease that Mitch has, you can go to PSP.org, um, which is a, a nice touch. And I hope that people do that. Um, all right, Jen, well, let's get into our final list of Palooza of the season. I will start off how we will do this. Since we're only doing five, we'll just alternate back five through one um, uh, with each of our choices. I will start off for my first one. I want to go with season two masked singer champion and Hamilton, Chicago alum, Wayne Brady. I would like him to be a consultant that is brought in to help spark points transition 
from Danny Michael Davis to Joan as the CEO. But coincidentally, it turns out that they uh, used to date back in business school. And while they're working super closely, um, things, you know, lines get blurred again, which I, I kind of hesitate to put Joan in another storyline like that. But he's an adult and not her employee. So it's, it's OK. Uh, but then they sang the song Accidentally in Love by the Counting Crows, which I think is kind of one of those weird choices that we see on this show quite a bit. So Wayne Brady, consultant, having a little uh, potential relationship with Joan is my number five. What do you have for number five, Jen? Well, yours are way more <laughs> thought out and researched than mine. I basically just cast family members for the existing characters. Okay, good. And as I'm looking at my list, they're all guys, so oh. I'm not proud of that, okay. but that's where we are. <laughs> my number five pick would be Simon's uh, brother from Oakland, Mr. David Diggs, to come in <laughs> and uh, kind of help him deal with his mother's new marriage as well as his father's death <laughs> and they do they do resemble each other i know i know i tried to do that all right i like that uh stuck with the hamilton for both of us uh, at the beginning uh, i'm going to stick with the familial thing here but not in the way that you did um so if we're going to get a second season chances are that it will not feature very much peter gallagher i'm going to assume so i am proposing that they bring in his daughter Broadway star Catherine Gallagher to play kind of a hippie leader of a grief counseling group that Mo convinces Zoe to go to. But it turns out that she is still dealing with a grief of her own. And Zoe hears her saying, wait for it. Tears in heaven, because after all, they would still be Gallagher tears, if not necessarily Peter Gallagher tears. So Catherine Gallagher playing a bit of a hippie grief counselor singing tears in heaven. Cheap shot, man. I'm still vulnerable. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, that's such a, like, I'm just kind of surprised they didn't use that one yet because it seems so perfect for this. But all right. What do you have for number four? Well, sticking with the relatives of the existing uh, characters, and I propose Matt's favorite musical, Spring Awakening. I'm proposing a reunion ah. and have Jonathan Groff come in as Max's gay brother because oh. it's San Francisco and we only have one gay character. So... Who better than the Groff sauce to come in and bring it? And I think his HBO TV show Looking was set in San Francisco, wasn't it? Yes, but I think it was in was it in present day or was it in like the I did not watch it, so I do I do not know. Uh, I don't remember. That's yeah. terrible. Okay. Well, anyway, moving on to um, number three, I envision that there is going to be some sort of probate issue with Mitch and Maggie's business. Maybe they have some sort of investor or a partner who is going to try to claim that Mitch's part of the company belongs to them instead of Maggie. Whatever it is, that, that part is not important. Instead, this partner hires a lawyer. And that person should be played by Heather's the Musical and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again star Jessica Keenan Wynn, um, who, of course, starred with uh, Alice Lee, who plays Emily in Heather's the Musical. And it turns out that Jessica Keenan Wynn's character and Emily went to law school together and they kind of had a frenemy relationship. So they're fighting and and butting heads on this kind of thing. And they sing a duet of the Kelly Clarkson song because of you to each other. Um, I believe that Kelly Clarkson sang a duet version of this with Reba McIntyre. So it's uh, it's already out there. So I, I would very much like to see that happen at some point. 
So, uh, all right, Jen, let's go into your number three. And by the way, I don't say this often, but you're way better at this than I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I would like to explore Moe's family a little and have him uh, visit his grandfather and try and establish their relationship, played by Andre de Shields. <laughs> You were literally just going through and like picking great theater people in every one. That's, and I what, love that's it. all I did. And yeah. I have a list of about 15. So. Okay, very good. I like that one. Um, my number two is going to stick with theater greats uh, because I want, believe it or not, I want Joan's mom to show up at the Spark Point office next season. Now, I know we talked about how Joan said that she wasn't there when her mom died. Well, surprise, that was a lie. Her mother was ill, but Joan couldn't be bothered because she was working on the Google Pencil, which she talked about. She couldn't go back to South Dakota when her mom died. So her father kind of was like, you didn't care that your mother was dying and needed you. You're disowned. But her mother recovered and has been in remission for years ever since. But Joan has always just said her mom died because it was easier than dealing with the real, real feelings. However, Joan's father has now passed away. So her mother, played by Tony Award winner, do you know where I'm going with this, Jen? Uh, I have some ideas, but go ahead. Kelly Bishop shows up. See, oh, okay, okay. Thank you, Kelly Bishop, played uh, Laura Lee Gilmore's uh, mother on Gilmore Girls. She seeks out her daughter at work, and we heard that. Joan's mom was like super strong and, and feisty. And so because of that, they're butting heads and they sing a duet of anything you can do. I can do better. Um, I would love to see Kelly freaking Bishop, Tony Award winner for a chorus line. Lorelai's uh, mother, Emily, on Gilmore Girls, also in the criminally underrated Bunheads uh, with Sutton Foster as well. So that's my number two, Jen. What is your God number two? Damn, that's really good. I know. Damn oh, it. My last one's better. I'm very pleased with okay. my last one. So. Better Okay. All right. What do you got for number two? My number two is that I thought it would be nice to get a visit from Mitch's older brother, uh, Victor Garber. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, he did star opposite Bernadette Peters in Hello, Dolly! on Broadway a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, it's just my wish list. I love it. I love it. Well, my number one actually involves Bernadette Peters as well, because for mine to work, it would necessitate her character, Deb, coming back and being somewhat of a recurring character, which they kind of set up, actually, um, to help Maggie deal with her grief. And in a poignant episode, maybe mid to late season, Maggie is grappling with what it means to move on with her life. And at about the same time, Deb starts dating a new man, a widower named George that she met at the funeral home at some point to be played by Mandy Patinkin. George is a novelist who has a bit of a writer's block since his wife passed away. And Zoe hears Deb and George singing, wait for it, move on from Sunday in the park with George. Because after the Sondheim birthday concert last week, that is all that I want in this world. Damn it. And if I can come up with some fake way to, for them to do it on a TV show, I'm going to put that out into the universe, Jen. Oh, man, I should have gone first. <laughs> Is Mandy Patinkin your number one? No. I, <laughs> this is the, in keeping with the theme of them sometimes being too on the nose, I would like very much to meet Moe's estranged uncle. 
Played by Billy Porter. Oh, that would be very good. (laughs) That would be good. Because a duet with Alex Newell and Billy Porter is something that the world needs. Yeah, I would love that. Um, I am a little shocked that we didn't get a Lin-Manuel Miranda reference in here. I really figured we would. I thought that was too obvious. And I was also, I didn't put Patty Lapone on because I thought you were going to do that. So <laughs> I could have. She's She does a lot of other TV stuff. I went a little bit off yeah. the, uh, the rails there. But um, uh, look, if any of these things happen, you can say we heard it first. We will be bragging about it. But um, I think these work. These are all good. Um, I like your I, I think your casting of family members works really well. They all resemble each other um, very well. So I would be excited for any of these 10 options, especially because so many of them are theater related. We kind of betray ourselves on that. Um, literally, actually, all of them are theater related. Um, yeah, I guess our roots are showing, Jen. So. Um, all right. So Boy, are our roots showing. Oh, well, mine aren't. <laughs> Well, not yours, but mine are. <laughs> I have no roots because I'm bald. Anyway, um, Jen, we don't know if there's going to be a second season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Um, we don't know then, of course, if we're going to do another season of recapping Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. But we've enjoyed this um, quite a bit. So we are hoping to find something else to do. Um, maybe it won't be a TV show. Maybe we'll do some movies because who knows what kind of TV shows are going to be out there for the foreseeable future. So maybe we'll dive into some stuff on Netflix or Disney+. Plus. Um, a friend of mine and, and listener, uh, Annie had suggested, um, like th- doing the whole high school musical franchise from the movies through the TV shows. That's a possibility, uh, as well, but, um, we would like to do something else. So if you have suggestions, tweet at us at Eponine and Q at BWW Matt and at Broadway radio, let us know what you'd like to hear us discuss. Um, this was a, like these episodes, Jen, like to do these, they take a lot of time for me to watch these and like write out all the notes and then for us to record for a couple hours and then to edit. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I, I love doing this with you and, uh, I hope someone can give us a really good idea so we can dive into doing something else because honestly, what the hell else do we have to do? It's a really good point. I mean, we had talked for years about like taking one subject and really delving into it. So I'm glad we finally got around to doing it. And I hope we can find something else because as much as I say I hate you, I don't. And I'm <laughs> going to miss you. Yeah, we'll find something else. Um, but we would love the the input of any listener out there to let us know what you think would be great. So let us know what you thought of the final two episodes of season one of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Let us know what you thought of what we thought of the final two episodes of season one of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Um, as always, we've been doing, I think, most of these. They, we didn't start in quarantine because I think the first episode came out when I was actually in New York Um right after Valentine's Day, I think. Um, but most of these episodes have come out during quarantine. So we really hope that everybody is doing well. They're surviving. Hopefully that these episodes have given you some sort of entertainment that you could deal with the craziness going on in the world. Um, remember, still stay inside. Don't go to the beach. Don't carry rifles to the house of you know elected officials. Don't be that guy. Um, wash your hands. Stay inside. And we will hopefully talk to you soon. 